This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. College football season is upon us. The NFL season is just over the horizon. But we, here at the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast, will be talking rookie 2020 running backs. <laughs> this is the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. My name is Matt Caraccio, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Paul Pertichese. Paul, welcome to the 300th episode of our fair show. I cannot believe that we are at episode 300. It seems like we were just starting this episode one, you know, a way too early rookie mock draft years and years ago, followed by those positional preview shows, which we always say is the bedrock here at Saturday to Sunday. And then here we are, episode 300, turning the page to the 2020 draft class. If you listen to the most recent episode, we did a way too early mock, a watch list type episode to really kind of start wetting the appetite a little bit for this class. And now we're getting right into the positional preview shows. It's just remarkable that here we are at episode 300. It's been an amazing journey uh, and I'm glad you're here with me. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, I'm extremely excited. And for everybody who suffered pain painfully through the last episode, as I sounded like I was somewhere in, you know, Carnegie Hall making a presentation, um, I thank you so much for all that technical difficulty that we were having for, for standing with us. But it was a great episode and it was just nice to be back in the saddle again. And with the 300th episode, I mean, I, you know, where we were and where we are now and, and really everything that we were able to share with this amazing community of people from everybody in the fantasy football community to our, our friends that we've made now in the movement science community and those kind of those relationships that we spearheaded across all the different landscapes and and uh, podiums of football has really been really, really a fun ride. And, and I cannot wait for 300 more. But tonight, Paul, as you said earlier, we are exploring what is really the bedrock of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast, which is our summer kind of preview shows that we do, our positional preview shows. And tonight we're going to start with the running back position. And we're going to go through, you know, about 16 or so names. And we're going to kind of run through some general ideas of what you can expect from these players as as players on the field, what types of schemes and things that they fit into, just who they are. So that way, as you get into the 2019 college football season, this will give you an idea of who these players are and where they may fit at the next level. So, Paul, I'm going to kind of dig right in and go right to the top of the list. We'll go alphabetical order. This is not indicative of any rankings. Um, we're still kind of knee deep in actually doing rankings and even in my case, still watching a lot of these guys. So we're just here to kind of give you an idea of who these guys are, but we're not going to kind of, you know, put them in any particular order. We're going to let that kind of bear itself out a little bit. Maybe, maybe even in the next episode, we'll kind of talk about maybe our, top tier or top five players if we have time. So right off to the top of the bat, let's go to the Washington Huskies and take a look at a junior who's been lighting it up, five foot 11, 195 pounds. That's Mr. Salvin Ahmed. Salvin last year, he had 2018. He rushed for 608 yards, good for 5.8 yards per carry, seven touchdowns, and he had 21 receptions for 170 yards and zero touchdowns. Paul, let's talk a little bit about what he's particularly good at. What is he good at and where is he developing? 
Yeah, I mean, his calling card is definitely his athleticism. He's got that elite long speed and burst, good acceleration, the footwork you can see, quickly able to make cuts laterally, uh, stop and go acceleration, the agility and elusiveness in the open field, and show some receiving capabilities. You know, I think it's that athleticism and that long speed with the burst and acceleration is going to be how he wins because he's a home run threat on any on every single touch. His ability to bounce to the outside is evident with his lateral quickness. And then when he's in space, he can make people miss uh, with his agility and elusiveness. I already talked about that stop and se- stop and go acceleration and his cutting ability. Uh, Listen, I think he's got some areas that he's definitely got to work on. His overall frame, he could add some muscle and weight to it. His play strength, his power, you know, workload concerns. What type of workload can he handle? But I think those are areas that he could improve upon. I think his vision and his patience and his contact fidelity, I think that's all stuff that is is functional or, you know, and when I use the word functional, I know you talked about that uh, at length with uh, Matt Wallman uh, and Jamie Moyer on on one of your seminar series. The way I look at functional is I probably say it's in that average to above average uh, range in terms of how I utilize it in the upcoming scouting notebooks. But I think I'm his role at the NFL level, it can be a change of pace type back, a committee back that maybe could be effective on eight to 10 touches as that, you know, big play threat when he gets out there. I think he could be a kick returner. To me, he's a day three type guy in the NFL. And I think he's best, you know, in an outside zone or gap running scheme, capable of running some inside zone plays like draws and delayed runs. But that's kind of how I see Ahmed. Well, I think we should move right along to somebody that I just got <clears> to <throat> I got to clear my throat a little bit for because <laughs> this is a player that I think was someone that I, I pretty much took everywhere in every di- Devi league that I was in. And I- I'm just so excited about who he can be as a player. Unfortunately, he just missed out on our 2020 way too early mock draft. And honestly, I th- I actually critiqued myself on that after listening back at the show. I should have taken this guy much earlier because I know I think he's going to kind of come to light right now this year. And I think he's going to surge his way to where he should have been this whole time. And that's Mr. Cam Akers from Florida State. The junior is five foot 11, 210 pounds. And last year, he rushed for 706 yards, good for 4.4 yards per carry, six rushing touchdowns, 23 receptions for 145 yards and two touchdowns. The former QB in high school transitioned to the running back position when he came to the Seminoles. And I think he has everything that you want to see from a potential three-down star-studded back. He really does. I mean, he was learning the position early on, and we can always attest to that, that learning the position, knowledge about what the position is, is completely different than knowledge of the position, which comes after playing the position. But he really does have strengths and functionality across the board. Everything from his athleticism to his agility to his ability to find different types of cutting strategies. He can weave together multiple moves. His stop and start ability, his ability to decelerate and reaccelerate is absolutely special. I think his overall vision is something that is, you know, when we talk about vision, I talk about that, you know, that kind of ability to kind of sense and understand not only what your blockers are doing, not only what the integrity of the running lanes are that you're running to, but also what's the integrity of other opportunities that might be available for you. We talk about perception being led with your eyes, right? So when I talk about vision, I'm talking about what they can sense, feel, and understand in those moments in terms of the integrity and opportunities for different running lanes. And I do think that 
that was something that is developing for him. I think it was developing him because, again, we talk about knowledge about versus knowledge of. That's something where he was getting some actually knowledge of while playing in college, which is not you know, ideal, but it's the way he was learning. But I think his vision and his, and his overall ability to win his contact fidelity, I still think it's functional right now. I, I, I think that's something where he sits right now at that level of when it comes to NFL problems, I think he's going to be functional and handling those. I think he has solutions, but I don't think he has a very rich toolbox in terms of variability to handle a multitude of situations. So what separates strength from, from functional for me is the idea of having multiple multiple solutions to a single problem. He does not have a lot of variability in some of his solutions on the field, but I do think he has the capacity for it. And that's where I think we're going to hopefully see him take the next step this year. He really did have a lot of opportunity to carry the ball last year, but he he didn't really have a great offensive line. And I think that put him in a compromising state again, as he was still getting comfortable within his role. I definitely see him as a starter at the next level. I do believe he's a three down running back. He can catch the football as well. His knowledge of pass protection being a former quarterback, I think is going to put him in the right frame of reference. Eventually it's still developing for him, but I do think that's going to be something where he will eventually be a big asset at the next level. So, uh, right now, Cam Akers is a big is a big question mark with a star right next to it. If I had to define him as an emoji, because that's really what he is. So Cam Akers kind of sits on that, you know, kind of day two, early day two, maybe late, you know, day, you know, maybe, maybe could could he be if he has an explosive year? Could he find himself at the end of day one? Maybe, but I think he's more of a day two prospect, Paul. Yeah, listen, I mean, I think you laid out Cam Akers very well there, and I don't you really differ too much in terms of what you just said. You talked about areas, you know, that he's got to develop on. Uh, I would I would add patience to that, but I think it kind of goes entail with everything that you were saying in terms of what you want to see more from him. You know, I, I think we're going to see Florida State and their success, if they have any, is going to be directly correlated to Cam Akers, and can they give him the rushing lane? So, you know... I, his calling card is going to be his great to elite athleticism, that long speed, burst, acceleration, cutting ability, lateral quickness, can run inside or outside. I think he could almost fit any running scheme, to be honest with you. Zone, gap, inside, outside. I think he's probably at the next level, maybe best suited for an outside gap or zone running scheme. But I think he's got to improve that vision and patience a little bit uh, to maybe be as successful in, in, in that zone scheme. Uh, but I do think he's got three down potential. I think his pass catching skills is another calling card of his uh so he's an exciting player he's been a player that we've been talking about in the Devi community for quite some time i think he's got a he's got to show a lot this year to endear himself though to the nfl people because tony pauline who we talk about a lot one of the one of the best in the business he right now has a udfa grade on cam Akers. so it just kind of shows you uh, I can't blame. I can't blame. I, but I can't blame Tony. I know Tony's getting a lot of flack for that, and I and I understand why he is because he is Debbie Darling, and I and I I mean that like he, we've seen him for so long. But I do understand why. If you look at what he's done on right now, you know, in college, um, the production isn't there, and in a very production driven draft cycle, yeah. How do you take this guy right now? I mean, that the production wasn't there. 
Yeah, and yeah, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I understand it. I mean, he's got to live up to the measurables that, that the people in the Debbie community have wanted him to live up to. He showed signs of it his freshman year. He regressed a little bit last year, probably pressing because of the offensive line and the overall offensive woes. But he's, he's got a lot to prove this year, I think, to, to, to the scouts and the NFL community. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to follow him. Obviously, he's a guy we both believe in his talent. Yeah, and you know what? Talking about talent, let's move over to the Sun Devils of Arizona State. Talking about the junior, five foot ten, two hundred and eight pounds. That's Eno Benjamin. Paul, last year he had one thousand six hundred and forty two yards, not really short of anything in terms of production when it comes to him. Five foot uh five point five yards per carry, sixteen rushing touchdowns. He had thirty five receptions for two hundred and sixty three yards. And two touchdowns. Eno Benjamin seems to be a player that is getting a lot, and I mean a lot of talk when it comes to any type of league that has a Devi component or taxi squad. Is the top is the talk, Paul, and the excitement warranted? Yeah, I do believe it is. And I wish I could come up with a different comparison than than one other people have utilized. But I do think the Kareem Hunt comparison in terms of his body, his athleticism, his profile. Uh, when Kareem Hunt came out of college, they're all very similar to Eno Benjamin. I truly believe that. He doesn't have greater lead athleticism, but he's got good athleticism. Same thing. He's got good burst. He's got good lateral quickness. Uh, he's He shows the ability to bounce runs to the outside or hit the hole uh, in between the tackles. He's got great contact balance, the ability to bounce off defenders, absorb and run through contact well, and pick up yards after contact. You know, so I think that's one of his calling cards, his ability to absorb and, and run through contact and, and pick up more yards. So his extra two for three yards is really important. His play strength is very good to very good. He shows finishing ability, uh, good to very good vision with above average uh, patience to allow his blocks to develop. I like his footwork. I, I think he's got some agility, allowing him to one cut and get up the field quickly. So I think, you know, Benjamin does a lot that I like. And in terms of some things I, I'd like to see him work on, I think he's got to still work on his pass protection a little bit, but that could almost be said about every running back. I don't think he's a big play threat, and I don't think Kareem Hunt was either. You know, he's not going to be a guy that he's going to be a guy that runs a very mediocre forty time, and I'm I'm just using that as the point of reference in terms of long speed. How dare you? No talk. <laughs> Of combine testing, have we not? No, I'm just, I'm just, messing. <laughs> but, but even, but even on film, he's not going to be a guy. He's not going to be a guy that when you when he gets a touch, you're going to say, oh, he's, you know, this guy's kind of got a part a little bit for him to, you know, make a 70 yard run. Like, I don't think it's, he's going to beat one guy and then nobody's going to be able to catch him. And, you know, I think that's, but that's okay. I mean, that's, that's the least important trait of a running back probably of all, if, if we're going to list them, you just plain straight long speed. If you have it, great. It's, it, you know, but, but that doesn't affect, you know, Benjamin, uh, you know, in terms of what he brings to the table, you know, I think he's a guy who's very much a day two guy. I think he's got three down starting running back, uh, if he could improve his ability in pass protection, I think he's an inside or outside zone runner, but he's capable of running a gap as well in either scheme. I think he's kind of scheme uh, versatile in that regard, similar to I think how I think Kareem Hunt is as well. So, you know, Benjamin, he didn't come off the board in our in our way too early uh, rookie mock last episode. He probably 
could have as well, or maybe should have. Uh, but, the, but it's just such a great class. And I think, you know, Benjamin is one of those guys that day two, he's very much going to be in the mix. You know, we saw guys like Miles Sanders and, you know, and Darrell Henderson and Damian Harris go this past year. I think, you know, Benjamin is very much, uh, you know, right on par, if not better than, than some of those names. So I would expect him to be, uh, in that range as well, you know, come next April. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to add other than to say that I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think the only where where maybe I differ a little bit with you is I, I still think that in terms of his overall vision, which I still think is, again, the way I'm looking at vision in terms of the ability to understand the integrity of the running lanes that are created, as well as maybe understand what running lanes could be emerging or could be available in terms of cutback lanes. I definitely think he sees it. I do think that those cutting and reacceleration strategies as he enters into those lanes, I think he's got to pick it up a tick. I do think that there's an opportunity where at the next level, I do think he's got to be a little bit more, I don't want to say decisive because I know there's more than just a decision being made. There's an entire sense and feel and time and place where all these decisions, quote unquote, are happening. But there are times on interior runs where I felt like there was a little bit too much of, I don't want to say indecisiveness, but there seemed to be a little bit too much of lack of conviction in terms of what he wanted to do. That doesn't mean that he didn't have an opportunity or couldn't find an opportunity to get opportunities for action for him to do. But there were opportunities behind the line of scrimmage on interior runs where I would have wanted to see a little bit more. So other than that, though, I, I do think he's an outstanding player. I think the ceiling, be if you're trying to compare these and take notes, I think the ceiling of Eno Benjamin is not the same as Cam Akers, but I think Eno Benjamin is certainly further along in terms of draft capital, in terms of his overall confidence in what his kind of production arc might be, at least in my opinion, moving forward. So let's move on right now to the state of Oklahoma, because I got to tell you, the Oklahoma Sooners have a lot, a lot, a lot to offer all the time at the running back position. And this year is certainly no different. Uh, let's take a look at literally this red shirt sophomore. He's five foot 11, 205 pounds. That is Kennedy Brooks. 2018, he rushed for over 1,000 yards, 1,056 yards, good for 8.9 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns. He had 10 receptions for 57 yards. I mean, Kenny Brooks is a person that, you know, as a player stood out to me as being somebody who was probably going to be more of a day three pick. He didn't seem like he had, um, you know, that three down kind of running back potential. I dev definitely saw him as a committee back. I have not had a chance to watch him in his entirety. But, Paul, maybe you can add a little color commentation to that discussion. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think he's a solid player. I think he's a solid player. I think you, you said day three. I think that's, that's about right. A lesser part of a committee, depth running back. I think he's an inside gap or zone running scheme. Uh, I think that's where he fits best. I would not want him to be out on the perimeter too often. I think he's got, you know, short area bursts to his game. I think he's probably above average athleticism with that good short area burst and quickness for, for his size and frame. It To me, his calling card is going to be his play strength and then his ability to run through contact, absorb that contact, fight and pick up extra yards. He's got some good footwork. You know, for a guy his size, he does show the ability to one cut and get up the field quickly. So I, I will say he's got some quick feet and I like his vision and patience to allow his blocks to develop and then be decisive in his movement. That's why I kind of, you know, in some inside zone running, I think he could be very effective at. Uh, 
you know, in terms of, you know, areas where he's functional, I think probably his, his long speed acceleration uh, is probably just functional. His agility and elusiveness in the open field, he shows he shows signs that he's capable of it, but I don't think it's a calling card or a strength of his. Uh, in terms of things that I think he's got to work on, I, I didn't see him bounce a lot out to the outside. So I think his lateral quickness is something that I, I question a little bit. His uh, receiving skills, production and pass production. So right now I don't see him as being a guy that the NFL would want on the field too often in passing situations. And we know how much the NFL is skewing towards backs that can impact in some way or role in the passing game. So that's, that's kind of, I think, the areas where Brooks has to develop a little bit. So as we move right along, let's move on to the Tennessee Volunteers. Junior, five foot eleven, two hundred one pounds. That's Mr. Ty Chandler. And if we take a look at Ty Chandler in 2018, he had 630 yards, good for 5.5 yards per carry, four touchdowns, and he had 19 receptions for 183 yards and three touchdowns. Paul, I'm going to lay out the carpet for you. I've not had a chance to watch this young volunteer. What have you seen from Ty Chandler so far? If you have, what can you tell us about him that we should be looking for? Intriguing prospect. One of the guys who I knew nothing about really before I really started doing my research this summer, but walked away pretty impressed. Uh, athleticism, check that box. He's got good athleticism, average to above average long speed, but I like his burst and acceleration. I like his lateral quickness. I think he could be an effective runner on the perimeter and shows the agility and elusiveness to make people miss in the open field and pick up and make big plays. I like his footwork, his cutting ability to change directions and get upfield quickly. To me, one of his calling cards is going to be his receiving ability. I love his receiving skills, the ability to line up in the slot and run wide receiver type routes. And to me, he shows the play strength uh, and the ability to run through contact and pick up additional yards. I think in the NFL, we're probably talking about a committee or pass catching back that has the potential to play in all three downs, could also be used as a kick returner. I think he can run effectively in just about any scheme, to be honest, but I think best suited uh, for inside or outside zone running concepts because I did think he he showed a good ability in, in running those zone concepts. Some areas where he's got to work on his patience a little bit, uh, pass protection, workload concerns. He's never been asked to carry a heavy workload. So is that something he's capable of doing? And he runs with a little bit of an upright running style, which could lead to more wear and tear on his body. But overall, I like the player. I'm intrigued by the player, especially with his pass catching ability, his ability in open space and his overall athleticism. So he's a guy who I think could really rise over the, over the next year. Well, every good turn deserves another. I'm going to raise you, Mr. Ty Chandler, and I'm going to take Mr. Reggie Corbin from the Fighting Illini, the Illinois senior. He's five foot ten, two hundred pounds. Last year, he had 1,085 yards, good for 8.5 yards per carry, nine touchdowns, only 16 receptions for 176 yards and no receiving touchdowns. This is a player who, I, like yourself, when you're talking about Ty Chandler, I had absolutely nothing to nothing about Reggie Corbin. But I think that he really immediately, when you watch him on film, immediately you see a very, very, very good runner in terms of his start and stop ability. He's solid in terms of being a run, a pass protection and good blocker. Um, and also the one thing that I really like about him is I think he understands really how to use blocks well. I think that's a testament to his vision, which I would give him definitely kudos for. He can see well inside the hole, across the line of scrimmage, to the second level, to the third level. He understands how to set up multiple defenders using his initial track on inside and outside runs. In terms of being powerful, you know, that quote-unquote powerful word, um, I'm going to stick with contact fidelity, his ability to handle collisions, the 
ability to solve those problems. I actually think he's actually functional in that area. I, you know, I don't see him being a particularly, um, you know, uh, a player that really kind of thrives in collisions. He's a guy that has that one-on-one miss ability. He has that ability to make players miss in space. That's really who he is. He's a player that's going to be a compact, small runner that's going to really be able to make players miss in space. And he's going to be able to elude you in tight spaces in between the tackles. And when you think you've got him, that's where you see his ability in collisions to actually win, break those arm tackles, push the pile forward for an extra yard. That's who he is. He's not going to be a guy that you're going to rely on on the goal line, but he is going to be a player that's going to be between the 20s. He's going to be a guy that you're going to be able to run that spread offense at the NFL, and he's going to just do a lot of things for you. In terms of catching the football, not a lot of exposures in terms of catching the football, but the times that I did see him catch the football, he seemed pretty fluid. It didn't seem like it was something that really was um, cumbersome to him. He was able to transition quickly from being a runner uh, to a uh, wide receiver to a runner very quickly. And that's something I look for. So that's something that I think he he really did well. I think we're talking probably right now, conservatively, given the depth of the class, I think we're talking about a day three guy. And I think we're talking about a player who's probably best leveraged on probably an outside zone type scheme. I, I think that's where he kind of fits. Um, I, I like, to, I want to take advantage of that vision. I want to take advantage of those offensive linemen that I've spent all those high draft picks on. And he's a guy that I think could really exploit and understands where those running lanes could emerge from in an outside zone scheme. He's a guy that I really like. He has that speed to take at the distance. He also has that receiving capability. I, I really like Reggie Corbin, Paul. Yeah, I mean, listen, you 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 uh, basically went through all the things that I were going to say about him. I love his athleticism, the long speed, the lateral quickness, Burt's. He's a home run threat. He's a he's the ideal change of pace or committee back at the next level. You talked about the stop and start acceleration. I think that's really great. I think he's got elite cutting ability, agility, and elusiveness behind the line of scrimmage and in the open field. And I, I think you're right. I think outside zone is probably his best. But I, I do think he could even run some outside gap just with his speed to get to the outside. And I also think he's a space player. I think you can do some delayed runs and draws out of shotgun, you know, spread it out four or five wide, but have the, the, the running back back there and run some draws and delays. I think he could be a weapon in that regards. And I do think he's got some untapped receiving potential in there uh, from, from the limited uh, availability that I saw out of that. He's an interesting player that I think fits will fit a team in terms of a role they're specifically looking for. He can add a, a, a dynamic weapon to maybe be a missing part of what they're not, what they're lacking in a backfield. So I think he will be in demand next April. Yeah, and and just before we transition to the next player, a very interesting note about Reggie Corbin. First of all, if you're listening to this podcast and you're kind of in that stage where you're beginning to watch these players, compare Reggie Corbin to Eno Benjamin when you watch them play, and you'll see the difference about what I was talking about previously about being an interior runner, how they do differentiate between them. Now, that's not to say that they're not, I know they're not running the same scheme. I know it's a different level of competition. You know, I understand that, but when you watch them interior running wise, watch the interior runner that Reggie Corbin is versus Eno Benjamin, and you'll see that I think Reggie Corbin has pretty good versatility on the inside. He can make some good quick cuts, but he's very decisive in terms of the way he hits the hole. And he's very confident in terms of his first and second level reads. And that means he's way more sensitive. I feel, which is a testament to why he uses his blocks. Well, he uses his blocks very well. He'll gauge tempo very well. And he does that because he has a good feel for how to use his blockers. You'll even see him push his offensive lineman. That's how well he uses his blockers. He even pushes them into the 
area that he wants them to go. He actually does have that connection with his blockers, and I think that'll serve him well. And he was a rugby player, Paul, which means he knows how to play without pads. Yes, he does. Yet, And that also means to me he's a little bit more emboldened by playing with pads if you watch his running style. That means a little bit more tenacious, you know? So anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on to the Florida product. Let's take a look at Malik Davis, redshirt sophomore, five foot eleven, hundred and ninety-four pounds. In two thousand eighteen, he only played in three games, unfortunately. He only rushed for sixty-one yards for four point seven yards per carry. Um, and only had three receptions for 33 yards. But in 2017, the previous season, he did have 526 yards, good for 6.7 yards per carry, two touchdowns, seven receptions for 58 yards. So unfortunately, a very shortened season in 2018, but Malik Davis has a lot to offer. Paul, give us a little bit of a glimpse. What do you like about this product out of, what do you like about this Gator? Yeah, I mean, listen, his freshman year, he he showed big play potential. I mean, I think that's you're going a lot here on untapped potential and limited film work here. But his athleticism, he's got he's got great level athleticism, uh, very good long speed and acceleration, home run threat every time he touches the ball. You know, I think he's got great burst combined with great lateral quickness. He shows the ability to bounce runs to the outside, and I think he's at his best on the perimeter. I think his cutting ability. Uh, and footwork are both very good to great. He changes directions easily and shows agility and elusiveness to make people miss in the open field. You know, I think he's shown the ability, I think from the limited amount and very limited, he shows the capability to be an effective weapon in the passing game, but his receiving production is obviously a developing area that he has not yet actually put, you know, a, any consistent production in the passing game. Uh, I think he's his play strength, uh, his ability to absorb contact and run through contact, I think is average. Uh, his patience, I think, is average. I think his vision is something is a, of the again on his big plays that we saw as a true freshman, I thought I saw a pretty good vision out of him. So, you know, he's a guy who's intriguing. I think he's a lesser part of a committee or a change of pace type back. Just, I think that's, you know, based on his frame, that's what he's going to kind of check out as. But I, I think uh, get him to the outside, whether you're running zap, uh, whether you're running zone or gap, I think he's best in the perimeter and out in space. I think this year, if he could stay healthy, I mean, durability, uh, his frame, his power. I mean, those are the big question marks and the injuries. Those are the things that, you know, are concerning and, and he's got to develop. But if he does, I think he's going to make some big plays this year. And we're going to, we're going to hear about this guy a little bit more in the SEC. I, I like him more in that Gator backfield than another guy we're going to talk about, his running mate. I think Malik Davis has a better chance of being a bit, a better pro, uh, than, than his cohort there, uh, Michael Perrine. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I think this next player that we're going to talk about probably has a better shot at being drafted as a linebacker. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> this I'm talking about Boston College's junior six foot, 245 pound stud running back, Mr. AJ Dillon, who last year in 2018, he had 1,108 yards, 4.9 yards per carry, 10 touchdowns, only eight receptions for 45, 41 yards and a touchdown as well. AJ Dillon is more is way bigger than the Eagle himself. I'll tell you that at Boston College. So this guy, there's so much to like about AJ Dillon, and I feel like Paul and I are going to have plenty to say. So Paul, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of split this up with you a little bit. I'm just gonna give you a couple of quick hitters, fill in whatever I'm missing, and uh, let us know what you think about this Eagle as well. So AJ Dillon, I don't I don't think it takes a, a genius to understand that when you watch him, he just jumps off in terms of his physical stature. He is a big 
big running back. But I think what belies his size is his agility and his ability in the open field. He has a very rich movement toolbox in the open field. He's much more than you would think. In terms of being between the tackles, his contact fidelity is outstanding. He can carry players on his back towards the goal line. He is a guy that's going to be able to run up and down the side of the guard or the tackle, push the pile to get extra yardage. He is the quintessential 1995, 1980, 1985, 1990 running back that the NFL has always wanted. He's not what you think in terms of players that have come before him. You know, I know a lot of people will probably be sitting there saying, well, you know, is this a kind of a Leonard Fournette type of player? Are we talking about Zeus? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? This is a guy who's very agile, light on his feet in the open field. He has the contact fidelity to win, you know, collision-based scenarios. He's very good in collisions. It's not just about running through players. It's also about being able to adapt within collisions, feel the actual contact, understand what the trajectory of the opponent is, and adapt to it. He's not just a power smash mouth player, although he can do that. I think the thing that people probably won't realize about him is I actually found that he was pretty solid in pass protection as well, which makes him in terms of, in my opinion, it makes him a potential, you know, three down back at the next level. I like AJ Dillon in terms of what he could bring to the next level. I was really surprised about his athleticism, not just his athleticism. I was surprised about his play speed, Paul. That's what I was surprised about. Yeah, and I, I mean, listen, me and you are at the forefront of saying we like our running backs to be contributors in the passing game. But I do at times think that we go a little bit too far in devaluing players who can't do that. And I think A.J. Dillon is going to be in that in that narrative. Boston College doesn't ask him to do much in the passing game. But we saw Leonard Fournette not be involved in any way, shape, or form in the passing game in at LSU. And then I, I forget the total numbers, but he he's caught like 40 passes or something or in the mid to high 30s one year for Jacksonville when he was asked to. Yeah, A.J. Dillon doesn't have receiving production. It's a concern. He's it's not Christian be- McCaffrey, though. Can I just say that? Like, exactly. Th- th- you don't have to be Christian McCaffrey, who's, I think, the best route runner of any running back in the NFL, period. Sorry, Alvin Kamara, and I love you. But you don't have to be that. Yeah, and you know you know who a guy that we once upon a time said what his past receiving skills and were a concern? James Conner. James Conner was very much in this kind of mold of like the, the guy who physical stature, runs hard, play strength, power, all that stuff. And but he wasn't asked to catch the ball much at Pittsburgh college and now for the Steelers he showed the capabilities to be a functional pass catcher out of the backfield last year maybe that's not a calling card maybe they're going to use Jalen Samuels there more this year but you get my idea people are I think are down on AJ Dillon and I don't think they should be just because he's not maybe the most well-rounded because he doesn't show that capability to make be an impact receiver out of the backfield but how about everything he does do you talked about this guy is a freak he was one of the handful of guys who surprised me more than i expected i watch plenty of boston college games on saturdays you know flipping through all day watching college football and i've seen aj Dillon, and i didn't realize watching live what type of athleticism not until you watch a lot of things over and over and you start comparing them to other running backs do you see that there's a reason he's on bruce feldman's freak list this guy's gonna run a really good 40 time again just to show one little checkbox but this guy's gonna blow up the combine Derek. Henry style, and he might even be better than Derrick Henry because matter you already referenced it. He's more, he's got more agility and a more elusiveness and more movement skills in the open field 
than a guy like Derrick Henry. This guy's going to be an athletic freak, and he combines that. He shows the ability to get have lateral quickness to, to be an effective runner on the outside as well as be a bruiser type in between the tackles. I think he's a starting running back. Fine. You want to maybe say he only plays on early downs and not, not very much in passing downs? Okay. But he's still going to be a really good player. I think he's a day two type talent. I think, you know, I think he's a guy that offers a lot at the next level, uh, you know, and and you basically hit on all his other characteristics. I, this is a guy who really impressed me. And I was, you know, you want to make one concern besides the receiving thing? Make the concern that he's he's already had a heavy workload. A lot of mileage is going to be on his tires by the time he gets to the NFL after running the, the amount of carries he's ran for Boston College by the time he gets there. That's as much of a concern as anything for me. Yeah, and coming out of high school, just, just so to give you guys a little context, coming out of high school, A.J. Dillon was a freak. I mean, he was a freak. In terms of his overall spark rating, everything to that effect, he did have a 4.540. He was a 4.5540, something like that. It was sub 4.6. So, I mean, we're talking like a 4.5, 4.5540 at his high school athletic capacity. Now, after a full kind of few years at the collegiate level where you're working on getting bigger, stronger, and faster. You're working on your overall game. You're getting more sensitive, more attuned, understanding of the game itself. Paul, I think he's going to be phenomenal at the next level. So let's move on to another player. I mean, I feel like we're talking about one big kind of running back after another, but I'm excited to talk about this guy. I, I love J.K. Dobbins, the Ohio State product, junior, 5'10", 214-pound player, I mean, last year he had 1,053 yards, good for 4.6 yards per carry, 10 touchdowns, 26 receptions for 263 yards and two touchdowns. I really like J.K. Dobbins. I think J.K. Dobbins is the type of player that kind of fits the quintessential kind of modern NFL spread passing offense. And I say that because he is what we quote unquote are now terming the space player. What that says to me is he has a very rich movement toolbox when it comes to playing in space, but don't, don't underestimate his ability to run between the tackles. JK Dobbins is a very, very good player between the tackles. He has good vision and good patience in between the tackles. He doesn't rush his cuts. He doesn't have or show hesitation. He has a good feel for cutback lanes. He knows and understands what's happening in front of him, both in terms of the pursuit angles of defenders, but also in terms of the blockers in front of him. He knows how to use his blockers. He understands how and when players are penetrating from the second level. He's got a good feel for how to manipulate them. Those are the things that you want to see. When you have the ability to get a a running back that knows how to use the time between the snap of the football, the handoff, and the line of scrimmage to manipulate first and second level of defenders to not only set up blocks, but also to create windows of space and opportunity to get yards, those are the running backs you want to gravitate towards and go after. And you want to get those guys that when everything breaks down too, they can still make something out of nothing. I think that describes everything that J.K. Dobbins can bring to the table. Oh, and by the way, he's an excellent receiver. You add that all together, and I think you're looking at the modern NFL running back that everybody is coveting and looking for. I don't think he's going to go in day one. I do think he's a day two player because I do think that there are going to be players like we've already talked about at the running back position and guys that we'll get into later that are going to be just that much more complete and maybe that much more intriguing, but don't discount what this Buckeye can bring to the next level, because I'm going to tell you something. When you consider his overall package, there's very few in this class that can tout as much as he can. 
Yeah, listen, uh, J.K. Dobbins is is one of the top backs for sure in this in this special class. I'm going to call it because I do think it is going to be a special class. And I'm glad you talked about the that his his frame and and the way he plays, his play strength, his contact fidelity, his ability to run through contact, pick up additional yards. That's on top of the athleticism, the speed, the burst, the acceleration. You know, it's on top of the receiving capabilities. You know, the only thing that I even was able to come up with in terms of developing areas of concerns was his pass protection because he truly, he truly shows the ability to be functional or, or be, you know, good to great or, or elite at, at everything else pretty much. And some people question maybe his, his, you know, long speed. Okay. I mean, even if he, I think, he, I think he's got more than enough long speed. Like I, maybe he's not a four, four guy. Maybe he's not a guy who's going to, you know, make 70 and 80 yard touchdown runs on a regular basis, but I don't think that's going to hinder him in any way, shape or form at the next level. Uh, I think you're a hundred percent right when you say he is the type of player they're looking for uh, at the next level. You know, listen, this doesn't sound like a, this isn't a direct comparison, but a guy like Deion Lewis runs harder and plays bigger than what his, his size is. I think a guy like J.K. Dobbins is very similar in that. I think he can do just about anything that you ask of him on the football field. You need him to run zone, he can run zone. You want want to run gap with him, fine. You want to run inside, he can run inside just fine. I think he's best on the outside and in space, but that, but I don't I don't think he can't do any of the other stuff if you ask him to do inside. So really intrigued by him. I definitely think he's a guy who. Listen, in a, in other years, he could even have been a guy that got some day one talk, but I think he's a day two guy. He's around two around three player, and he's got a lot of upside. You, you have to forgive her the forgive me for the fiery, passionate kind of retort that I'm having in the background. I'm just when I hear these things and we're talking about all these things about you know contact fidelity, power, and things like that, we forget the fact that these guys are also they don't they don't want to get hit too. I mean, there's there is an element of self preservation. Do you know what I mean? So in some respects. A player that may not be powerful, let's say in a head-on collision, can mitigate those circumstances by using their manipulative running skills, their feints, their upper and lower body feints, in order to kind of cut the player in half. In fact, most running back coaches try to train their players to attack half a man. And by attacking half a man, you're inflicting the full power of your own force on half the player. You know, very rarely do you want to get in a straight up head on tackle situation as a running back, because if you were doing that often, then you're missing out on opportunities previously to create more opportune times for you to to kind of break that tackle or create a better, more advantageous situation. So I think almost like the guys who are constantly being straight up head up tackled, I wonder what they're missing out sometimes previously, the way I look at the game now. You know, it's just how I see the problem solving kind of paradigm kind of unfolding on the field. You shouldn't get head up tackled all the time. If you are, then I think you're missing out on opportunities that you could have used blockers. You could have used that initial track for feints and def- and being deceptive and manipulative on your track. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you create those opportunities to be more advantageous for you? And by the way, he ran a 4-4-40, okay, 4-4-40 in high school. And he had a 43-inch vert. Just to for testing fiends out there. I'm just going to throw that out there. 
Paul, why don't you tell us, <laughs> if we go from one big back to another, why don't we throw out there Mr. Travis Etienne? Yeah. So Travis Etienne, obviously junior from Clemson, 5'10", 200 pounds. Last year ran for 1,658 yards, an incredible 8.1 yards per carry, 24 touchdowns. He chipped in with 12 receptions for 78 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, explosion is the word that best describes Travis Etienne. Great athleticism and long speed, elite bursts and acceleration, capable of taking any run the distance. His lateral quickness to bounce runs to the perimeter, combined with very good agility and and elusiveness in the open field could add to that big play threat. Uh, his, uh, uh, I think it's an elite, and I, I try not to use that word too often, but I think it's elite or rare, his ability to one cut and get up the field quickly with rare stop and go speed when needed. I think that's something that every time I watched him, I came away impressed. I like his vision and his patience with a great understanding of angles to take versus defenders, his play strength, ability to run through contact and pick up additional yards. The My only concern about Etienne is in the passing game. His hands, his pass receiving skills, his pass protection. He even came out and talked about his uncomfortable level in terms of pass catching. So I think that's a, a little bit of, a, of an issue but he's a starting running back at the next level. He's a big play threat waiting to happen. He can play in probably just about any scheme. I think he's best in an outside zone or gap running scheme, but he can run effectively on the inside just as much. I think he's got a legitimate chance to go in round one, probably going to be in most people's top three, top four running backs uh, when push comes to shove, even this far out uh, when ranking the 2020 class. It's all going to be about what he does as a receiver this year. From everybody else's opinion in terms of his draft stock, I think that's going to matter the most. Other than that, I don't know how he's not in your top three or four. I, if he's outside of your top five, I don't, I don't know how that's possible right now. And I, and I know that's bold of me uh, to say something like that. I mean, everybody has a, an awesome opinion, but he's, but he is that special. I, I agree with Paul. He's a, he's a round one talent in my opinion. Moving right along to somebody who used to be a Clemson Tiger, but now will be a South Carolina Gamecock, and he is almost ready to suit up. That is Mr. Tavian Feaster, the senior, is five foot eleven, two hundred and twenty pounds. And at Clemson, it really became more about the emergence of Travis Etienne, I believe, than the kind of you know derailment of Tavian Feaster, because Tavian Feaster, in his own right, is really a solid player. Last year, he had four hundred forty yards, good for five point six yards per carry, six touchdowns, eleven receptions for seventy one yards. Overall, I think you're talking about you know how Paul how you said you know uh, Malik Davis being a solid back. Well, I think Tavian Feaster is also a solid back, and I think he's going to transfer well to the NFL. I think he's going to be a guy who could potentially fill out a depth chart. I think he's the type of player that, you know, he brings kind of a little bit of everything. He shows that ability to be creative, you know, in the open field, but he's not a player who has a rich movement toolbox. He doesn't have a variety of moves. He has a couple of moves that he really kind of lends himself to, moves that he kind of um, uses as his calling card, so to speak, which are just basic, you know, various controls of cuts that he uses. His cutting to reacceleration strategies are not very varied, but they're, but they're still highly attuned. He understands what he's seeing on the first and second level. He's able to be functional in terms of getting yards after the, in terms of getting yards after the line of scrimmage. He is able to adapt when there's penetration into the backfield. He does show at least 
hands as a receiver. He can catch the football. I think he's a solid running back overall. I think Tavian Feaster is really going to surprise a lot of people when he gets the what I hope is going to be and what I think is going to be the majority of the workload at South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, listen, Feaster is a guy who I, I think he – wasn't really getting the the respect and credit he deserved. I think for a guy his size, he's got good athleticism with really good long speed, burst and acceleration. You know, the play strength, his power, his ability to fight for additional yards, the strength, his run through contact, absorb contact, deliver punishment, I think is, is something that he does because I think he's got that physicality and toughness, that finishing ability and that mindset. So, I think he's a guy who definitely could have a role at the next level. He might have a very nice year here outset at South Carolina there. They got some interesting pieces, obviously that wide receiver we talk a lot about. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Tavian Feaster does. I think he'll be a guy that in the pre-draft process will probably test out pretty well. So I think he's a guy that is kind of forgotten, but could kind of rise over the next year to be intriguing to the NFL landscape. I am just dumbfounded by the depth of this class as we go to arguably one of the players that I think is one of the most overlooked running backs. And I know that can't, how could you say that given that he was probably the type, he was the top running back prospect or was he right behind Cam Akers um, in his particular high school year? And that's Mr. Najee Harris, number 22, the big 2-2, the Alabama running back junior, six foot two, 230 pounds. Yes, he is rivaling A.J. Dillon in terms of size, but he's, he's not quite the 245 of A.J. Dillon. Um, but Najee Harris last year, uh, he rushed for 783 yards, good for 6.7 yards per carry, four touchdowns. He had four receptions for seven yards. Paul, I, I mean, literally, I would love to pull up a soapbox and just talk about how good Najee Harris is. And I know there's going to be a lot of naysayers out there that are going to say, well, he's not very explosive in terms of being fast. He's not fast in a straight line. He's probably not going to be that. He's going to be like Leonard Fournette. He's not going to run fast in a straight line. Well, that's he's terrible. I'm going to ask you to watch him again, though. When you watch him run the football, he has a very upright running style, which does him no favors. But I will tell you that he's also very sensitive to how players are trying to attack him. He's very good at attacking the line of scrimmage. He has a lot of subtle moves. His agility is very good. I know people are going to say his agility is is kind of functional, maybe just barely average, but I think it's more skillful than people give it credit for because I think he combines the agility that he has is a testament to the vision he has as a player in terms of understanding the blocking scheme, in terms of anticipating and watching as different types of pursuit angles of first and second levels defenders unfold. He shows the ability to adapt both his tempo and his overall trajectory as a runner, meaning his actual path to adapt as well as deceive. He uses upper and lower body feints in order to throw players off in order to create running lanes for himself. He's a very agile player. He's more agile than people give him credit for. And then when it comes to contact situations and collisions, He's very good in collisions. He has the ability to lower his shoulder, but he does it with good timing. And the timing makes him very strong in that moment. Not only is he a big player, but he's very good in collisions. He knows how to adjust his body, how to create leverage for himself, even when he's disadvantaged. Even when a player has leverage on him, he can contort his body and he can regroup and push forward. There's very rarely an exposure of Najee Harris where he goes down A, on first contact, and B, it's rare that it's less than one player 
or two players that are taking him down. He's a very hard player to tackle. You combine that with the sense that also he's got solid hands. He doesn't run a tremendous amount of routes, but his hands are pretty soft. If you watch him catch the football, I know it's not a lot. He had four receptions, but I'm thinking back to his high school days as well, where I had an opportunity to watch him in some of the um, various all-star camps that he attended. His hands were soft there. There's a couple of times where you'll see him catch a ball. He's a player that I think is going to get dinged for not being a great receiver because the exposures aren't there in college. He's a player who's not going to have the long speed, so people are going to say he's not a home run threat. But I think what they're going to miss out is a very skillful running back, a player who is big and agile, despite the fact that he didn't have to, that he is, he was sitting behind really a couple of NFL level talented running backs behind him. So, I mean, I do think that he's a player that is going to really should, should really surprise people. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think, you know, he's a guy who the NFL was pretty high on Derrick Henry. I think they're going to be pretty high on Najee Harris too. When, when the time comes, I think he's going to have the statistical production to kind of back it up this year. Uh, I think you see his agility and elusiveness, even a level above me. And I know how much you go into studying this. So, you know, I probably put it in that functional, that above average level, but if it's better than that and you combine that with the power and the play strength and the overall athleticism for a man his size. And he's got good lateral quickness. He can bounce runs to the outside. I think people are under the mindset in the limited limited samples they get of him that they kind of think he's a two-down plotter. And I don't think that's the case. Now, maybe he's a two-down player because right now he's not a guy who can be functional in the pass game, and we'll see about that. But he's not a traditional plotter, I think. I think he his movement skills and his and and his toolbox, as you said, I think is a much more wider than people are giving him credit for. I think he could be a starting running back on early downs or definitely a plus side of a committee backfield. I think inside gap or his own running scheme probably fits best, but I think he'd also effectively run outside gap just, you know, cause I, I, I see that lateral quickness in him. I think he's got a legitimate shot to be a day two guy. He's another guy. And I think this year he's going to get the opportunity to probably be the bell cow for Alabama. And you're going to see a monster statistical season. I'll never forget how you said he reminded you of a young Eddie Lacy. I don't think that was terrible. I think that was. Yeah. I you, think that was you showed you showed me. I think the Alabama spring game from three years ago. Yeah, and, and you showed me it, and I said he looks like Eddie Lacy, but not the Eddie Lacy we all remember. The guy that everyone calls Fat Eddie Lacy or Fat Eddie. I remember the Eddie Lacy who was great in college. Let's remember the Eddie Lacy that ran for like 1,400 yards in Green Bay, you know, and was a first-round fantasy pick for a couple years. Like, you know, that Eddie Lacy is what who Najee Harris reminded me of because he had that agile, he had those quick feet, and he was an impressive player in all facets. And I do think uh, Najee Harris can be like that. And if he could just improve and show something in the passing game, which Eddie Lacy did was able to, uh, I think he it very much could be an intriguing guy at the next level. I wish I could say this class continues to calm down a little bit, but we, as we move on right now, we got another exciting player in terms of Kylan Hill. The Mississippi State player is a junior. He's five foot eleven, two hundred and fifteen pounds, and last year he rushed for seven hundred and thirty four yards, good for six point three yards per carry, four touchdowns. 22 receptions for 176 yards and four touchdowns as well. Paul, what do we know? We've got to know about Kylan Hill. So Kylan Hill's an intriguing guy because I do feel after watching him and then kind of 
checking the landscape of what other people think about him. Other people seem to look at him and, and see a special prospect or see a very good to great prospect. I saw a good prospect and that's not a knock on Kylan Hill. I just, I'm not seeing as much as, you know, and, and I don't know if we're going to get to him tonight, but if not, but definitely on part two, a guy like Zach Moss. I think some people look at him and see a, a very good to great prospect. And I see an average to good prospect. I, that's kind of where I put Kylan Hill as well. Uh, things that I like, I, I like his size and frame. I think it's ideal. That contact fidelity or contact balance, the ability to run through contact, uh, absorb contact, you know, pick up additional yards after contact. I think it's very good to great. I think it's probably his best trait that he offers his his power very good to great physicality finishing ability you know good short area bursts combined with above average athleticism but i think average long speed average acceleration you know i think his athleticism is probably in the average to above average range i think his lateral quickness is that i think he's solid functional at a lot of things i think you know a few things that I would say he's good to very good at. I do think he's got quick feet and the ability to one cut and get up field. I like his receiving production and his receiving skills. Uh, you know, I got some concerns about his durability, his pass protection can carry a full workload. I look at Kylan Hill and I think more of probably a late day two, but even more of a day three guy, especially with how special this class is. So I, I think he's more of a day three type prospect, probably early day three. I think he could sneak into the back end of day two, but I see more of a day three type guy, best in an inside gap running scheme, uh, maybe some inside zone or some outside gap as well. But I think he's a part of a committee backfield. He could play on all three downs due to his receiving ability, but I think this is kind of a reverse A.J. Dillon that because he's got the three down capability and his receiving ability, I feel like it might be pushing him up a little bit in terms of some rankings and, and NFL projections. I might be missing something though. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think what happens is, and this is why, you know, we, we really worked hard this past year to talk about, you know, looking at players through a kind of problem solving lens, because the idea is you can't reduce the problems of the game of football down to a couple of categories. You can't just say the guy's either an interior runner, outside runner, pass catcher, or he could do all of it. That there's no player that can do everything perfectly well. Players It'd have strengths. Levin, yeah, It'd well, except Barkley. <laughs> well, I mean, but but to but to your point. There's a lot of talk by people that I respect tremendously in the movement community saying that Saquon Barkley is right, is right up there in terms of eventually being like a, like a Barry Sanders or, 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 or an Adrian Peterson players that we regard as some of the most elite movers to ever play the game. So, I mean, saying that is probably not out of line, Paul, but I think what happens is when we do these types of shows, it's like, oh, well, he can catch the football. Um, and he can run inside. He's probably a starting running back. That it, it doesn't really necessarily work like that. You got to think about how deep is that toolbox? How many different routes can he run? How many ways can he solve problems behind the line of scrimmage on interior runs and outside runs? So it's a little bit more than just reducing players down to a couple of categories that they can win in. We have to look at how they perform within those categories. And that brings me to a player that I think fits this discussion really well. And that's Chubba Hubbard. Oklahoma State's um, redshirt sophomore, six foot one, 207 pounds. Chubba Hubbard 
is rushed for 740 yards, six foot, um, six, blah, 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 six yards per carry, uh, seven touchdowns, as well as 29 receptions for 222 yards and two touchdowns. I'm sorry for stuttering there, but I mean, Chubba Hubbard, I mean, I mean, you gotta love saying that name a bunch of times. Chubba Hubbard, Chubba Hubbard. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> good for him. Um, on that note, you know, I think Chubba Hubbard is a player that's definitely been garnering a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of intrigue over the last, probably the last year or so as he steadily kind of climbed up with a great year last year. And he's going to start to emerge more and more in this Oklahoma state backfield and take that next step. Listen, there's no, there's no dismissing the fact that he shows overall athletic capabilities on the field in terms of his play speed, I think is there. I, I see, I see him more as a functional player, meaning I think he's a solid back. I see him as somebody who's going to be able to solve a variety of problems, but the depth, the variety in which he can handle and adapt in multiple situations, I don't necessarily see that from Chubba Hubbard. So in terms of his athleticism, in terms of his acceleration, in terms of those athletic abilities, I definitely think that's where you're going to see that he's going to be more than fair share or fit the bill when it comes to the NFL. But I think in terms of his overall agility, in terms of solving problems both interior and on outside runs, I don't see a very versatile player in terms of the solutions that he has on the field. That doesn't mean that he's not functional. It just means that I see more functionality, more of a player who can be part of a committee or maybe on the depth chart, somebody who could fill out a running back position for a team. But I don't see necessarily somebody that's going to be the bell cow. He's not going to be the starting running back that's going to carry the load. But then again, I will say this, there's still a lot of film to look at. So Today's, you know, functional running back could be tomorrow's superstar. We have to see how these things change. Players are always acquiring skill. It never stops happening. So he's definitely a player I'm intrigued to follow. But for right now, I definitely see him more as a committee back. Paul, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, not much because I do think he's a committee back. I think he's a change of pace back. I think he's a starting kick returner maybe at the next level. His, his athleticism is great to elite. I will say that. The long speed, the burst makes him a home run threat whenever he touches the ball, whether it's a, a rush, a reception, a kick return. His stop and start acceleration with the footwork and the ability to easily one cut and get up the field quickly is impressive. He's got good to very good lateral quickness to bounce runs to the perimeter with change of direction skills. And I did, I did see a little bit more of that change of direction direction and agility to make people miss in the open field, I thought, and his receiving skills, you know, and return skills to be a playmaker in a variety of ways. I think that's the intriguing thing. But I think as being a guy who could carry a heavy workload, I don't see that right now. As a guy who can win with power, I don't see that right now. Physicality, I don't see that right now. So I think he's a committee type guy, a change of pace type guy, a guy, a pass catching guy. There's a lot of things you can do with him. He's an intriguing player. But I, I do think he right now is a limited player and has to expand his game before I start thinking, you know, he is a future starter at the next level. I think he's a late day two, day three type guy because he just because you're not a starter doesn't mean you might not be able to go on late day two anymore. Teams are looking for specialized role players all the time. And I think that's maybe, you know, what he is right at the moment. So intriguing player, but similar to Kylan Hill, I do think other people are looking at these guys as as very good to great prospects, and I'd probably put them more as uh, Tylen Hill, like I said, above average to good, and Chubba Howard, maybe a good prospect, but I would say an intriguing prospect. Uh, and with Hubbard, I think the arrow is still, in terms of upside, is, is pointing upwards. So that's where I'm at with those two. 
Yeah, no, and I can't disagree with that. And I think that's where we get into this world of the differences between skillful and functional and and what that means. Guys, if a player is, is functional in a lot of different things, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's bad. Um, that doesn't mean anything. It means that there's, in fact, a guy who's functional in a lot of different areas might end up being one of the highest rated, most skillful players in the draft because to be functional at everything is, is incredible. That's very rare. So I, you know, don't, don't let the word functionality mislead you. We're not talking about functionality as necessarily being, you know, he's just straight average. It means that he showed the capacity to solve problems in that area, but he may not have shown the variability or the adaptability to solve problems with great depth in those areas. So maybe there's, you know, maybe they kind of lean on one type of cut or one type of juke or one type of move to get them free. Like there are players in this particular class that use the stiff arm like it's their job. Like no matter what play they're running, they're going to set it up so the stiff arm is the way they're going to win. So it's just something to keep in mind. Paul, let's do two more and then we'll kind of call it a day and we'll kind of come back with part two. Sure. All right, so let's move right on to the UCLA Bruins and let's talk about redshirt senior. That is five foot eleven, two hundred and four pounds. Joshua Kelly, number twenty seven. Yeah, last year he had two thousand eighteen. He rushed for one thousand two hundred and forty three yards, good for five point five yards per carry. Twelve touchdowns. He had twenty seven receptions for one hundred and ninety three yards as well. Paul, I mean, I, I haven't had a chance to watch Joshua Kelly in terms of an evaluative standpoint, but my feeling overall on him was more of like a day three kind of committee player I, I, or depth player. I didn't really see a player that necessarily had a, a starting kind of pedigree. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right on there. I think he's a depth running back, change of pace, maybe a pass catching back. He's got some inside or outside zone running scheme capability. Uh you know, also could run some outside gap. I think he's effective at it, a shotgun and a spread formation on draws and delayed runs. Uh, we saw that be utilized a lot, uh, you know, in that UCLA, UCLA offense there now with Chip Kelly. I think he's got good athleticism, long speed, burst and acceleration, good footwork with the ability to one cut and, and turn up the field. He's got good agility and elusiveness to make people miss in the open field. I think his ability, his play strength, his contact fidelity, his ability to run through and break contact contact uh break tackles after contact i think he's probably average you know to above average in that functional range but i like his receiving skills so i think he's a guy who who's got some traits that i would classify as good uh but i don't think he's got any very good any great traits i think he's pretty solid in a variety of ways uh but i do think in this draft class and and just how deep it is i think he 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 basically uh comes across as a as a day three type guy who's going to probably have a very productive senior year uh, and I think he'll be a depth piece, but I do like his versatility to play on all three downs because he is a guy who could be a weapon uh, catching passes out of backfield. Paul, it would be silly if we didn't end this first episode back here, the 300th episode with a player that I know you and I are both really excited about. And that is Maryland running back, redshirt sophomore, five foot eight, 203 pounds, Anthony McFarlane. Last year, he had 1,034 yards, good for 7.9 yards per carry. Yes, that is correct. 7.9 yards per carry, four touchdowns, seven receptions for 73 yards, and no receiving touchdowns. Paul, this player, in my opinion, is 
is going to be potentially a steal in the draft. I don't know if he ever finds his way into round two or round three. It's possible, but I think he's going to end up being a steal for the draft because if you're going to go and get Kylan Hill, if you're going to go and look at the the likes of, like you said, Chubba Hubbard, I think Anthony McFarland is a player that people could get really excited about. And Paul, I'm going to let you have first crack at it. What do you think of the product out of Maryland? If you like Darrell Henderson... You should be equally in love with Anthony McFarland from what he showed on tape last year. We'll see if he can keep it going this year. Obviously, that'll determine a lot. But this kid has great athleticism, the long speed and burst, an explosive home run threat on every touch. You don't believe me? Go watch the game against Ohio State. He's got great lateral quickness to bounce runs to the perimeter, very good agility and elusiveness in the open field. I think he's got great footwork, cutting ability, Stop and start acceleration, I think, is special. I think he's got good to very good vision. I think he shows patience waiting for his blocks to develop. And then he's very decisive in attacking the hole. I think he's got good play strength and even, you know, that that contact balance to run through contact consistently and pick up extra yards. Maybe he's not a full-blown starter, but I don't think Darrell Henderson is either. But I think he's a, he's a part of a committee backfield, a change of pace running back. But I think he's a big play threat waiting to happen. Uh, I think he's best in an outside zone running scheme, but could also run some outside gap and inside zone effectively. I think he's probably a day two or early day three guy, but I think his arrow is going to be someone that continues to point up and he excites me and he's going to be a guy that I'm going to be following closely all year because I really am excited uh, about uh, McFarland and, and what he could potentially bring to the table at the next level. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I love everything you said about him. I mean, I think I see him a little bit differently than you do, but we're both equally excited. I actually see a little bit of the reverse. I'll actually take him more as an inside zone, kind of outside zone runner. Um, but I like him a little bit more in that outside zone, inside zone area, or maybe that interior gap, that off tackle kind of running scheme. I don't know if I want to put him so far out in space. And the reason is only because I see him being a very, very sensitive player in terms of his vision on interior runs. This is a guy who looks through the first level to the second level at all times. And when he's inside and he's on interior runs, I think his cutting and reacceleration strategies, the way he handles the running lanes, the way he maintains the integrity of those running lanes by setting up blocks, by seeing the trajectory of pursuit, he understands how to get those secondary and maybe tertiary kind of like blockers, those guys that are kind of running and looking for something to help the running back. He understands how to anticipate what those guys are going to do at the second level, and he does a great job at really using those blocks to create space for himself because that's sometimes something that I want to see from a back. When you're trying to use those, let's say those pulling linemen or those um, those wide receivers as blockers or even those guards that are climbing to the second level. What do you do? How do you use them? When they're searching for somebody, are you using them as impediments to create running lanes and for you? Or are they an obstacle? Are they something just to get out of the way because you're trying to run away from everybody? I know that's a loaded question. I know there's everybody has a certain time and tempo and understanding. 
But my thing is with Anthony McFarland, I see in when it's on interior runs, I see a really good understanding of how to use blockers at the second level and use free blockers, blockers that are not currently engaged. He could still use and leverage those guys to create running lanes for himself at the second level. And I, and I really love that about a running back. I think Anthony McFarland is going to be a steal. I'm excited for him. And Paul, that takes us through 16 players in our first Basically, our first positional running back preview. I, I this is just loaded, just loaded of a class. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're going to talk about another thirteen guys on part two. Maybe share some of our top of our rankings a little bit. Uh, give you a little bit of a watch list in terms of some underclassmen. We're not going to go in depth on those guys, uh, but we're going to have a whole nother part of, of talking about this running back class because I, I told myself I was going to stop at like twenty to twenty four. I think I said this on the last show, and I just kept going. Uh, twenty nine guys, and I probably could have went another four or five guys if I really wanted to, but I kind of cut myself off uh, at, at the at the twenty nine there. Uh, but it, 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 this was a blast have back with you here, breaking down in the positional preview shows, celebrating episode 300. I just wanted to send a quick shout out to, you know, a few individual people. I'm not going to run through all the people that, that have made this happen, but obviously Nick Whalen, we started with him, uh, years and years ago. Uh, and then he's doing great things now. Make sure you're following him closely. Uh, you know, our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, without him, we wouldn't be here. Uh, Marco uh, Oliveria, if he was the one who created Saturday to Sunday, he was our original producer, created the website, uh, got us up on all the platforms for the podcast. Uh, big shout out to him. And then some of the regular contributors, Eric Coleman, Doug Green, Brandon Jones, uh, Bill Ladin, all of those guys uh, were instrumental in, in where we've gone and where we've grown Saturday to Sunday. And then obviously a big shout out to all our special guests uh, from all the different industries, the draft, the draft world, the, you know, uh, NFL world, the fantasy world, the movement science world, the skill acquisition world. Uh, you know, there's way too many people to thank, but, uh, you know, without all of them, you know, as regular, consistent guests on our show, we wouldn't be here as well and have had the success that we've had over the years. Yeah. And, and just to echo that, thank you to all of our families out there and anybody that's listening from our families, you know, just really, this is nothing without everybody supporting us both in our communities in our houses online everybody on twitter i mean we're we're not here if it's not for everybody else so a big shout out and a big thank you and a big thank you to everybody for listening to this first positional preview show as we unpacked 16 running backs for your listening pleasure and hopefully we can come back with another 13 more running backs in the next installment so on behalf of myself paul and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And please join us next time as our positional preview shows keep rolling along as we return with Running Backs Part 2. Please join us back. And thank you for taking us. Thank you for taking us from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>